Dark Tower Kane, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McGurr. You can find more information about the podcast at twoguystothedarktowercane.com. You can also email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. In this bonus episode, we'll discuss the Dark Tower movie. Let's start the show. Jay, I've had about a week and a half to sit on this movie and digest it. It passed through me very quickly, I'll say. Um, Like Taco Bell? (laughs) Very similarly, yes. (laughs) So I don't know if I remember all the details of the movie, but I do remember my general recollection of it. And it is not a positive one. I know you've seen the movie most recently. What are your initial thoughts? Well, there were certain things about the movie that I thought were quite good and a lot more things that I didn't like. But overall, I found myself having a sense of wonder and joy at being able to see a movie about a story that I like so much and seeing some of these characters on the big screen. That went away kind of quickly, though, because I felt let down by the movie over and over again. Every time I felt like something good was happening, I thought of how much better it could have been. And every time I thought something should have been there and it wasn't, I was let down. So I think this was overall not a very good execution of a movie period and not a really good execution of this story. I will agree with that 100%. I think, and again, I'm not as invested in the material maybe as you've been having just recently come back to the books after only having read the first two books many, many years ago. My disappointment in knowing that it didn't seem like it would be that hard to adapt what is a very visual and story-driven series Mm -hmm. into a 90-minute movie or two-hour movie. Stephen King has written a book and a series of books where there are very specific story beats that I think would be easy to adapt into a movie. Yep. There has been talk that this movie is not supposed to be an adaptation of the books, but rather a sequel to the books. And I don't know if we want to get into too many spoilers about the endings of the book or not, but a casual moviegoer who is not aware of that would not know any of this. And to me, maybe a casual moviegoer who's not familiar with the book would say, hey, this is sort of cool. There's monsters. There's some good gunplay. There's some good special effects. But overall, to me, as somebody who is somewhat familiar with the source material, what it seemed like was a very simple, not very smart, typical science fiction or fantasy movie that had a Dark Tower skin laid over it to get what felt like a Dark Tower movie, but really at its heart did not seem to be a Dark Tower movie. Yeah. One of my biggest complaints about the movie, it was too simple, too straightforward. And it could have been the basic plot for any story. And it was just like somebody wrote this generic outline in, I don't know, like a film school class. And then they just wrote Dark Tower at the top of it and forgot to actually write a new story. Mm -hmm. And as you were making a point earlier, like they could have taken any one segment of any of the books and made that into a 90-minute movie. And it would have been fun and exciting. And if you left off a little bit of the exploration of like who these characters were and what their motivations might be, it would still work. Just like the Little Sisters of Aloria. If you walked into that cold 
and you don't know Roland from a hole in the wall, you still get to experience like this cowboy type dude rolls into a town in a Western setting, messes with some other characters, gets into trouble, gets himself out of trouble, story's over. What I just said is super bare bones basic plot. Yep. That's like what they did in this movie. They forgot to add in what the little sisters were and whatever. So I think they could have done that. They could have taken Roland's experiences in just Tull and made this movie, made a movie about that. Adaptation or no, sequel or no. I think they could have done that. And they could have included Jake. To that point, I think that that was the big failing is that I don't believe Roland was introduced until 20 minutes into the movie. Maybe yeah. thirty minutes. Seems it was a right. it, it was a while. Seeing the movie from Jake's eyes did not give this movie a unique voice. We've seen plenty of down on their luck white boys who are special in some way and are able to save the universe. Right. We have not seen a black cowboy who can traverse a fantasy world and is involved in magic and things. That's the cool part of the story. The cool part of the story is not Jake. The, the Jake part wasn't well written at all. I agree. I don't believe it was particularly acted well, but again, that's mostly due to the script, I believe. And to have Roland just sort of come in in a voiceover with somebody saying, the man in black crossed the desert and the gunslinger followed and not actually showing the man in black crossing the desert or the gunslinger following and just sort of having him appear there in not any sort of epic or cool way, I think was a, a big failing of the book or of the movie. I'm sorry. There's just a lot wrong with this movie. Yeah. And at, at the risk of just spending this whole conversation being pedantic and saying, well, this wasn't like the book and this wasn't like the book and this other thing wasn't like the book. One of the things that I definitely wanted to talk about was what you just touched on. King's opening line to The Gunslinger is one of the best opening lines to any book I've ever read. And it does so much in such an economical way. In a single sentence, it sets the scene, it names the main characters, both protagonists and antagonists. It gives a scope and sense of gravity to what they are doing, and even gives you a sense of how long it's been going on. All that is packed into one sentence. The fact that they included that in this movie felt like an insult because nothing in this movie has anything to do with what is said in that sentence, except the names of the characters. So what? They take that sentence and they put it in the voice of a second or third string character in the story. I, I'm pretty sure it was the voice of the psychic woman in the town yeah, I think you're right. So she gets to do this voiceover of the best line of all of the Dark Tower books and a much better line than in a lot of books. It just didn't make sense. That actually made me angry. I mean, at least take a second to have Roland pursuing the man in black. Like, have that happen. Even if it's just 30 seconds while the credits are rolling, show him tracking him through the desert like he does in The Gunslinger. Then you've got it covered. But they didn't. They skipped over that. I did hear a rumor that the original cut of this movie was two and a half hours long, and after some abysmal test screenings, the studio pulled it back and cut 60 minutes out of the movie. And that's probably why so much of it feels like, what the heck just happened here? To me, I think that that's the bigger failing of the movie beyond sort of the script, is that what is there on the screen I think that you could look at it and say, hey, there's some cool set pieces here, or at least interesting looking type stuff. Mm -hmm. The house thing was sort of interesting. The gunfight at the end was sort of interesting. Fighting the demon in the woods was sort of interesting. 
but they don't feel part of a continuing movie. They feel like, boom, this happened, boom, this happened, boom, this happened. And there's no real connection to them all. You know, it was about 10 minutes until after Jake got through the house monster that they explained that, oh yeah, Jake was probably able to defeat that monster because of his ability. But in the time that you're watching it, that wasn't made clear. It just seemed like this thing had engulfed him and then all of a sudden he got through and passed it. It was like, he yelled, stop, let me go. And it did. Yeah, but we didn't know at the time, and it wasn't until 10 minutes later that it sort of explained to us, like, oh, here's what happened. And I was like, oh, wh what's going on there? The demon piece just sort of seemed like, hey, we are talking a lot now. We need to have an action scene. Let's do this. So there's an action scene in the, in the theme park. The gunfight at the end is definitely cool looking, but you could tell that that's where they spent a lot of their money and they wanted it to look cool. But again, it didn't really have a huge amount of purpose. Other than, you know, Roland's able to shoot the thing and destroy Matthew McConaughey's thing through the portal. I don't, but furthermore, there's no real emotional connection to any of this. We see Idris Elba's father for one scene, one very cheaply made scene, I'll say. It's two people standing on a soundstage circling each other with guns. And the fog machine. Yeah, the and then a fog machine, yeah. So there's, I guess, supposed to be some emotional connection there, but you don't really get it. There didn't seem to be much of a connection between Roland and Jake, unfortunately. I mean, the fact that they are able to bounce back and forth from Midworld to Keystone Earth, and why is everyone calling it Keystone Earth? It didn't seem like the characters were speaking a language that they should have known. Yeah, it's just not a good movie. <laughs> Jake as a whole just didn't work for me. No. One of the great things about Jake in the books is that he comes from a privileged family. That is the cause of his psychic damage because he comes from this place where his father hates him and his mother doesn't care. So the closest people in his life aren't there for him. And he is fruit on a, what was it? Seeds of bitter fruit or something? Yeah. I can't remember the line. But here he's presented as like, this happy kid who had parents who adored him and who he loved and even has a tragedy in the past of losing his father doing the most stereotypic heroic thing. Like his dad's a firefighter and he died nobly saving somebody's life, right? Yep. And it's to the point of being a cliche. And then of course he has the mom who cares for him so deeply that she's driving herself crazy trying to understand what's bothering her kid. And we know she's crazy because her hair is never brushed throughout the whole movie. It was bothering You're her. Right. Brush your hair, lady. Brush your hair. <laughs> I guess maybe I'm just really used to thinking of Jake in a certain way. Seeing Jake grow as a character in the books is him kind of, he finds a common ground with somebody like Roland and somebody like Eddie, where he was this weird prep school kid who didn't have any friends. And he didn't have anybody who cared about him in his life. Now he kind of has a family. But in the movie, he has a family. Like he doesn't have any of those challenges that the book Jake had. So where does he have left to go? And on top of that, he already has like this incredible gift. He doesn't just have a little bit of the shine. He's like the perfect ever highest order level shine shiner shiny shiny guy ever and like he would put danny torrance to shame apparently yeah i don't know how he would stack up against scatman crothers but <laughs> now we haven't talked about who's nominally the star of the movie after idris elba and that's matthew mcconaughey but the man in black seemed very vague as to his powers, what's he doing, his relationship, and it just seemed like he became- Or even his motivation. I want to destroy the tower. 
to destroy the entire world, I guess, or right. all the universe, but no reason why. He wasn't able to even take it to the next sort of campy level and make it over the top. When I read the book, and again, we don't want to get into I read the books and so I think da da da, but the man in black is sort of a charming, fun character. And Matthew McConaughey can be charming and fun, mm -hmm. was actually sort of excited about that. And he just never, there was occasions where he went that far, but never far enough that way. And sometimes he was too grim and his makeup looked pasty throughout and he had a generic black metrosexual suit on and it just didn't work like it should have. Every single word he said was either really lame or what was supposed to sound like grand or epic or imposing, but failed. I wanted more of the tittering laugh, like I'm in on a joke thing that we get from the character in the book. And if not that, just have that Jack Nicholson joker, like, wait till they get a load of me kind of stuff. Yes. Like, just do a little bit of that. Just fold a little bit of that in. And I think he would have been at least twice as good. And it doesn't help that he's surrounded by a bunch of lackeys who were unclear on what their purpose was when the man in black seems almost omnipotent and yet he's got a bunch of geeky hackers working at a computer console like a generic James Bond villain mm -hmm. and it's unclear on what exactly they're doing. I know it's sort of clear like I if I spent some time thinking about it but literally I saw the movie a week and a half ago and I've done my best not to spend too much time dwelling on it so <laughs> Yeah, so McConaughey was a disappointment. Idris Elba, I thought, was fine. I thought he was good. Um, he didn't have a lot to work with, but, you know, he carried himself well. I think he looked the part. There were a few things that I really liked. One of the things is, because it drove me crazy in the book, the nod to Jake losing his sneaker when the uh, <laughs> yeah. doorkeeper tries to pull him back. Yeah. That Jake took off his sneaker and threw it through the portal. I thought that was pretty cool. But, of course, he still had the sneaker after he himself went through the portal. So, <laughs> so you enjoyed movie, that. Movie Jake is smarter than <laughs> book Jake in that regard. I kind of dug the portals themselves. This idea of not just having these magic doors on the beach that only appear once and get one use. Expanding that to this sci-fi system of dialing the right number and off you go. Off. It's almost like a combination of Star Trek Transporter and Stargate. Yeah. I think it's kind of cool, although it certainly would make it way too easy to get around and move around and be deliberate about where you are. What's the point of getting on Blaine and ending up in Captain Tripp's Topeka if all you had to do was dial Dark Tower? There you are. Feel the roses at your doorstep. I like the few funny moments that the movie had. You're going to like Earth, which unfortunately was in the trailer. But my favorite was uh, It's a Theme Park. Roland's like, these are just ancient artifacts from before the world moved on. Nobody knows what they are. He's like, they're theme parks. <laughs> just like, but I just thought that was good. I liked all the nods to King's other works. Movies, for the most part, Christine, It, Shining, 1408, Little Man in Yellow Coats. The first tahine that Jake sees on the street in New York is wearing a yellow overcoat. So I thought that was a nice little tip of the hat. At the end, there was a Salem's Lot reference in the streets. There's a Stoker and Barlow Oh, right, sign. yeah. And the spider used as a representation of the threat to the tower when Roland was drawing his little uh, map in the dirt. I thought that was nice. Yeah, I mean, it's oh. obvious that these people had an awareness of the Dark Tower, but I don't know if this stuff was a little too fan service -y. 
it, it, it was just sort of shocking to me who was this movie made for and what were they trying to go for? The Stephen King fan, the Dark Tower fan, you know, a random person just trying to set up a universe and make some money, which I think is ultimately the real answer because the answer is always money. I guess in some ways, all the nods and everything were a little bit frustrating because it told me as a viewer that the people who created this movie were huge fans of the Stephen King works, his books, the movies that have been adapted from them, the whole thing. So the, all those little nods are the wink, wink, nudge, nudges to me, the fellow King super fan say, we're on the same team. Yeah. Now here's a big piece of shit movie. You're welcome. <laughs> yep. And if you're that much of a fan, how would you, why did you do this? And it doesn't, but it doesn't do good for the, the new viewer either, because then you have a, why are they cutting away to a woman walking a St. Bernard? Is that important? Like if you didn't know that, oh yeah, there was a movie and a book that came out 35 years ago that dealt with the St. Bernard killing thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't make a good movie. I mean, I could write a script that has references to all sorts of stuff. That doesn't mean it's right. good. It just make, it makes it references. I was a little frustrated with, while I appreciated the nod to book two with the whole use of modern medicine to cure Roland's infection, and he got to drink soda for the first time and all that, none of the things that we saw happen that were just so wonderful and fun in book two, Roland drinking Pepsi for the first time and having this incredible rush of sugar. Idris Elba is an awesome actor, but all he said was, what is this? It's sweet. Yeah. Come on, you know, act like somebody just shot you full 50,000 volts or something, you know, like, and have fun with it. Smile for the one time in the whole movie. And also, I really missed the integration of really important characters like Eddie and Susanna. Eddie was the one who healed Roland. Eddie was the one who nursed him back to health over a long period of time. And distilling that down to three and a half minutes and one dose of pills with a different character, I felt was a disservice to Eddie and a disservice to the growth that Roland experiences along the way. I'm glad he didn't have to lose his fingers in gaining to get that infection, (laughs) but maybe that'll happen in the sequel. Yeah, I'm not sure if a sequel is forthcoming. I, I, I was I was about to transition to that. So where do they go from here? I mean, do you think that this movie kills the franchise? I know that there's still talk of potentially a TV series that would focus on Roland's youth and how he became a gunslinger. But do you have any desire to see any of that? I do, but I don't know if I'd want to see it or if I'd want it to stay in the hands of the people who made this movie. Is that a fair way to answer that? Is that- Yeah, I think that is. I think... At this point, you're better off starting from scratch and pretending like this movie didn't exist. And if you're going to use these characters, just do it with what you probably should have done in the first place, which is prestige type TV series like Game of Thrones or Breaking mm-hmm. Bad or something and put it together that way where you can have that plan. And and I think that's the other piece is it didn't seem like that there was a plan. I know when this project was originally announced many years ago, there was this thought that there would be a movie leading into a TV series, leading into potentially another movie or or something along those lines. But the way that this movie seems to have come together, it was very much going to be like, okay, we have to make this movie and it has to stand alone because we're not sure what's going to happen. And if they knew for a fact, like, oh, we're going to get a TV series, I think they could have been 
both less rushed in this movie and more deliberate in what they were trying to do and what they were trying to set up. But as it is now, it did very much seem like, hey, we just need to get to a conclusion of some sort. And so let's rush through this and get to a what should be somewhat satisfying conclusion where something blows up at the end and the good guys win. Mm-hmm. The, the things that were good were you saw in the trailer, like the way he loaded the guns. Like, sad to say that the trailer had given me a little bit of hope despite the pre-production noise around how bad things were going and the reshoots that were necessary and the fact that it was delayed so many times and the marketing campaign that seemed off. Mm-hmm. When I did see that trailer, I saw some things in there that looked like they could be decent, but it just goes to prove that you can make a good trailer out of just about anything and yep. not necessarily make a good movie. And that is disappointing because there were some good people involved here and it's just a little bit of a letdown for me. Yeah, I I really didn't even like the way that the movie ended. So the movie ends with Roland killing the man in black by shooting him in the head with some crazy fancy gunslinging where he shoots his own bullet out of the air and shoots him with another bullet. Yeah. Okay, fine. He shoots him in the head. But the man in black is presented to us as this almost omnipotent magical creature who is impervious to Roland's main weapon, you know, the, the guns. He, he catches and uh, I guess at least a couple of times has kept the bullets that he's tried to shoot him with as, I don't know, mementos or perhaps just a, an insight into his, his nemesis. But in the books, we're presented with a, a character that Roland cannot defeat. He is so much more powerful than Roland that Roland can't beat him, yet Roland must beat him. And the only reason why Roland achieves his goal is because the man in black is predestined to die at this moment in time. He exists in other places and times, it seems. He kind of jumps all around and does as he needs to. But at that moment, on the Golgotha, talking to Roland, is when he is predetermined to end his life. That's how Roland wins the day. Not through use of his guns, but through the forces of Ka, right? Yeah. In the movie, it's just like, yeah, I beat this unbeatable foe by through a very straightforward means. I shot him in the face. The end. Movie's over. Good guy got the bad guy. Roll credits. Then what was the threat? What was the challenge? Why did he chase him for so long? Why didn't he just shoot him? Uh, why didn't he just do the fancy shooting the first time he went up against him? Yeah. We spent way too much time talking about this movie. You could have watched a third of the movie and... <laughs> Not liked any of it. Constant listeners, if you enjoyed the movie, I'm glad you enjoyed the movie. I, I hope you have a good time. Again, everyone has their own opinions on how these things go. I know from my perspective, even if I hadn't read the books... I don't think that I would think that this was a good movie, primarily for the following reasons. There didn't seem to be any emotional connection between the main characters. The main protagonist of the piece should have been Roland instead of the boy, because the boy was sort of a drag. The boy has a name. His name's Jake. His name is Jake, Sean. Come on. (laughs) Played by Tom Taylor. But there's no connection between Jake and Roland. Jake is not a very interesting character. And then even just as a movie itself, it did seem just to be generic sci-fi with a dark tower skin sort of pasted over it. So even as a movie by itself, I don't think it stands very well. My wife and I have been watching a lot of Mystery Science Theater here. Mm -hmm. 
it's not that far of a leap from this movie to some of the crappy sci-fi movies that Joel and the bots make fun of. I'm sure this will be on the next episode of How Did This Get Made and the Flophouse podcasts. Yep. But again, if you liked it, we'd love to hear your thoughts. We'd also like to hear your thoughts if you didn't like it. <laughs> yes. Just let us know what your opinions were. Yes. All right. Well, with that, I think that that's all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our contact information is available in the show notes. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash twoguysdarktower. And our Twitter handle is at twoguysdarktower. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McGurr. Thanks for listening.